The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Join us. I'm so glad that our guests today could join us. We've got a great topic today, and actually, it's something that is um, dealing with with a ubiquitous issue that every community, no matter what size of a community you live in, you have this issue going on, and that is the carbon footprint of the built environment. We know, gosh, not a day goes by that there isn't a, something in the news, mainstream media, about climate change and carbon emissions, and we know that the two biggest sources of our CO2 emissions are transportation and our built environment, which means buildings, what it takes to keep the lights on, the energy that it takes to heat them and cool them. And so while we see a lot of green buildings going up, and I say that in quotation marks because there's so many different types of green buildings out there, many times when we see a, a, maybe a LEED certified building, it's some fancy office building from a big rich corporation, and not every community has that kind of building or that kind of money to create LEED certified buildings. But you know what every community does have? That's schools. And if we can get our schools to go green and become um, less carbon emitting, you know, more energy efficient, water efficient, etc., every single community can reap the benefits of that kind of built environment. And we're going to be talking to somebody today who is doing exactly that. Our guest today is the Executive Director of the Collaborative for High Performance Schools, also known as chips and that's not your Eric Estrada chips this is that's different that's the California Highway Patrol but this chips uh, is headed up by Bill Orr and I'm excited to have him on because he's going to be talking about some great programs some great training and resources that every single community in America can take advantage of so welcome to Go Green Radio Bill glad to have you on thanks Jill it's great to be with you well, I'd like to start by having you give us kind of a history of CHIPS, because I know that it's been around for a while. So tell us a little bit about when it started, what its original target audience was, and how it's evolved over the last few years. Sure. Well, CHIPS, uh, as you alluded to, isn't the Highway Patrol, and it isn't, <laughs> it isn't the California High Performance Schools group. It's actually the Collaborative for High Performance Schools but we actually did start off in California uh, in 1999. At that time, uh, the chair of the California Energy Commission uh, called together all of the major utilities into his office, and he said, the state of school construction and energy efficiency in California is deplorable, and I think we need to work together to build better, more efficient schools. And out of that came a stakeholder group that was an informal group for for several years. But the main thing was that there was a a huge wave of new school construction that was anticipated uh, around the turn of the millennium. 
And so it was a matter of gearing up to ensure that the schools that were built going forward um, were high-performance schools. And so really, CHIPS has had three phases. Uh, when we started off, we were exclusively California, and we basically um, were focused on, on just California and that wave of new school construction. Then, within a couple of years, other states started to hear about CHIPS, and they they found out about the various materials and programs that CHIPS was developing, and they said, you know, we'd really like to have those kind of um, resources available in our state. So while CHIPS for a while continued to be focused in California, uh, we actually licensed our program to other states, including the state of Washington and New York, Massachusetts, and the Northeast states. And so sort of CHIPS 2.0 was the time frame where um, CHIPS as an organization was still focused in California, but other states started to come on board. Then in 2008, CHIPS actually became a national organization. We expanded our membership to include other states, uh, representatives from um, national groups and so forth. And uh, since that time, uh, we've taken on uh, a national footprint, and many of our programs and offerings are, are not just available in the original uh, eight CHIP states, but we've actually grown. There are actually 13 states that all have local programs, and many of our resources and tools are available uh, for use throughout the country. Tell us what a high-performance school actually is. Talk to us about some of the various components that a high-performance school should possess. What does that mean? Well, let me start with our priorities because um, it's interesting. One of the the changes uh, in our organization over time is while um, greenhouse gases and energy efficiency and so forth are are critical for society and for um, dollar savings and, and so forth, uh, what we've come to find is really um, CHIPS is, is committed to sort of greening schools from the inside out. So the first way to look at a high-performance school is from the sense of what its priorities are and what, we are, what are we trying to accomplish. And the first thing is to create a healthy and productive learning environment, essentially a school that's conducive to learning. And so that's our top priority. And then followed by that would be resource conservation. So whether that's energy, water, uh, materials, uh, greenhouse gases, anything that, anything that has a bill associated, a utility bill, uh, you know, basically the dollars that you save there are, are dollars that you can put into program. In fact, uh, it's pretty well known that schools spend more on their energy bills than they do on textbooks and computers. And so the more that we can save as far as energy efficiency and other resource conservation efforts, the more that we can put into teachers, programs, and so forth. And then our third priority is basically reducing the environmental impact, the green footprint, if you will, of a, of a school. And so you know, that's really, um, really the primary focus of CHIPS is creating a healthy, productive learning environment, saving resources and money, and, and reducing that green footprint. And, now you ha- and so that's one way to look at things. Mm-hmm. 
you have uh, a number of recognition programs that I'd like for you to talk about. Some of them are for new schools and for major modernization projects, mm-hmm. uh, but you've also got an operations report card for existing schools. So talk to us about, about both sides of that, the, the new school type of recognition and the existing school recognition programs that you have. Sure, Joe. Well, you know, one of the things that's really changed, uh, you know, I alluded to it earlier, when SHIPS was first formed, it was really focused on on new school construction. And really, most green building programs, and including LEED, when they first came out, were really focused on new construction. And, and that makes a lot of sense um, because you really, in a sense, have more control because you're building from the ground up um, in terms of the building systems, in terms of the selection of the site, in terms of uh, building a new um, structure, a new building envelope, and the selection of systems and materials that go into that building. But it doesn't take too long to realize that you really need to focus on, on renovation projects to basically bring existing schools up to standards, uh, not just code, but high-performance standards, and then um, also um, just the existing operations of schools. So. Uh, while the CHIPS criteria in our verification programs um, started off focusing on new construction, um, we really um, are trying to um, gear our programs to cover all types of schools. So, for example, um, one of the things that we've been looking at are renovations and modernizations, and not just major modernizations, but also what kinds of things can you do in an incremental fashion so that you think about things greater than simply replacing a particular air conditioner unit or changing out the flooring or making minor improvements to really thinking about a more cohesive whole. And so since 2004, we've actually been um, incrementally looking at ways that we can focus our programs on, on renovation and modernization projects. So um, the CHIPS criteria in our verification programs uh, address different project types. They address new schools, new campuses. They address new buildings on existing campuses. And they address renovations or modernizations on a campus where you're upgrading some or all of the building systems throughout the school. And what are some of the things that are involved in, like, say, for instance, your operations report card? What are some of the things that we might see on that report card? Sure. Well, the key elements of the operations report card, which is really a benchmarking and continual improvement tool for existing schools, it really um, focuses on four key elements of improving the classroom environment and benchmarking those against established standards. So the things you would specifically be looking at would be indoor air quality, thermal comfort, which is how, how the temperature and humidity are within a classroom. You'll also be looking at the acoustics and the lighting. And then on top of that, uh, you would be using Energy Star, which is a benchmarking program by the U.S. EPA to evaluate um, energy efficiency. And then in addition to that, um, there are two um, sort of optional or pilot areas to do waste audits and to do water fixture audits. So the primary focus of the operations report card are assessing the good bones of a school. Uh, And that could be a brand new school that's just been built and has just recently been commissioned. Uh, You'd be surprised. There are some schools that may only be a year or two or three years old 
um, that have deficiencies. Either it's too dim in the classroom for uh, for um, for optimal learning. Um, maybe the HVAC system, the air conditioner, is noisy, um, or it may be an older school. And uh, so schools can really look at using the operations report card. Um, to get an idea um, from a facilities perspective of how is their learning environment. And then based on, on doing that benchmarking, they get some areas for improvement. Then if they then implement uh, a renovation or modernization project, they can go back and do the operations report card after that. And mm-hmm. we're really excited about it because it's not really a conventional rating system. You actually physically take measurements of these various parameters in classrooms at the school. You do Energy Star Portfolio Manager, and then you do um, an occupant survey of teachers and staff because there really is a, a quantitative aspect to an environment, and there's also the human side. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting at times to see how in some, some situations the numbers may suggest that there's some improvement needed but in other cases, um, there may be some problems that are identified through the occupant surveys and vice versa. So it really brings that all together um, so that you're getting both the qualitative and quantitative feedback on how the learning environment is performing. I love that. And, and I think that's such, a, such an important component of uh, anything, any kind of program that's going to be comprehensive. I mean, yes, there are those tangible numbers, there's data, but we can't forget the anecdotal piece and, and what the human being experience is. And like you said, and we're not just trying to create energy efficient or water efficient buildings. We're trying to create buildings that, first of all, help students learn the very best that they possibly can. And, you know, this is the teacher's work environment as well. This is where a huge, yeah, a huge slice of our population is spending their waking hours. And so um, I think this is tremendous. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much more with Bill Orr and his organization, CHIPS. You can find him at www.chps.net. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last. Return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad to have you all with us. Today, our guest, in case you're just tuning in, is Bill Orr. He's the Executive Director of the Collaborative for High Performance Schools. And the great thing about this organization is that it is available to every school in America. And it doesn't matter where you live, and it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status may be, because the the training, the resources, and the Everything that this organization is about is free to schools, and I love that. You can find more at www.chipschips.net. So, Bill, talk to us about what it means to be a school that is CHIPS verified or CHIPS designed. About CHIPS is choice, and CHIPS primarily works with, with school districts, we work with state agencies, we work with utilities, we work with school designers, architects, and engineers. And, and what we found is that schools are incredibly different from state to state in terms of how they're funded, how they're permitted, even the construction practices vary dramatically. And some of that's based on geography and climate. Some of that is, is simply based on, on building and energy codes and so forth. And so CHIPS tries in a variety of ways to, be, um, to provide choice. And one of the ways that we provide choice in ter- is in terms of the nature of the certification programs that we offer. CHIPS Verified is a third-party reviewed process where basically the design team, the school district, the, you know, the, including the architects and engineers and green consultants and so forth, as well as CHIPS and an assigned third-party reviewer, basically look at the, the project and ensure that it meets the CHIPS standards, the CHIPS criteria. And it's basically reviewed prior to construction, and then it's reviewed following construction, and in some instances it's even reviewed about 18 months following construction to ensure that it's actually performing. And so, um, again, based on, on what's going on in a particular state, in some cases there is funding that's made available based on pursuing third-party certification. In other cases, there may be incentive funding that's available for projects that go through a green certification like CHIPS. 
And in some cases, school districts just basically want the assurance that they're getting what they pay for when they design and build and operate a green school. So that's CHIPS verified. And what CHIPS designed is is a self-certification where the design team, the architect, engineer, green consultant, and the school district basically use the CHIPS criteria to do um, the school, but they don't go through quite the rigorous third-party review. So they self-certify that they meet the CHIPS criteria. They submit a uh, annotated scorecard. We take a cursory look at it, and uh, and then schools can be recognized. And so, you know, depending on what state you're in, uh, either CHIPS verified and or CHIPS design may be available. Uh, for example, in in the states of Colorado and Massachusetts and Hawaii, CHIPS designed is actually not available. Pretty much all the projects in those states have to be CHIPS verified. And in mm-hmm. other states, um, the choice is available. In other states, um, you know, by and large, CHIPS designed represents the largest number of projects that we have. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of, uh, again, providing a choice to design teams, to states, to school districts in terms of how they want to be recognized for their high I like that. School. I like that. I, and I know that schools appreciate that. Um, I, I think that that's a fantastic, um, even just mindset, this, this mindset of flexibility and, and freedom to choose. I think that's terrific. You know, let's talk about some of the benefits of high-performance schools because it's not always readily um, uh, apparent to people why we need to be building any buildings, particularly schools, in this fashion. Let's start with some of the community benefits. In case we're talking to listeners today who don't have kids in schools or maybe their kids are already out of schools, you know, they're looking at these um, buildings as public dollar expenditures. Taxpayer dollars are being spent. So how do taxpayers benefit by having high-performance schools in their neighborhoods? Well, I think in a couple of ways. Um, I think starting at the community level, healthy high-performance schools are good for the community. Um, Having good school facilities are good for the community. Um, Schools can and should be centers for community. And, you know, as we look at the various school districts um, that are participating in CHIPS, a new or renovated high-performance school, a school that children can be proud of, really sends a message to the community. It also sends a message to the students that are attending the school that they are valued. And so I think that's really a fundamental thing. Uh, I think the second thing, which is is, uh, similar but different maybe to other types of green buildings, really the entire purpose of a school is to educate students, is to really... um, educate our, 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 our future generations. And so the whole purpose of a school is, is, to, um, is to learn. And so to the extent that um, students are, are learning better because of the school facilities that they're in, or putting it another way, that they're not learning despite the condition of their mm. facilities, but it's actually enhanced through participating in a particular school. Uh, you know, in the end, um, students that are in school students that graduate, students that become healthy, productive members of society, that's really, that's what schools are all about. And then, obviously, on the resource side, if we're building um, energy-efficient, water conservation-minded, waste reduction-style schools, you're also going to reduce, as we mentioned before, the utility costs associated with 
with operating the schools. And, you know, I think as we look at especially existing schools going forward and when we look at climate change and we look at energy efficiency, um, really getting back to those existing schools and finding ways to renovate and modernize them are going to be incredible in terms of um, not just meeting energy and greenhouse gas targets, but also um, saving, saving money going forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the benefits that the occupants of the building will reap as a result of creating a high-performance schools. I, I think, you know, we're starting to look at health a little bit differently since the Affordable Care Health Care Act went into place. People are beginning to see good health as not just a, a laudable personal goal, but they're beginning to see that the whole community benefits when Everybody in the community has the opportunity to be healthy. So let's talk about the health benefits for occupants of high-performance schools, both the children and the teachers. Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, one thing, um, I'll try to draw a visual picture here. Um, think Think of a triangle or a pyramid, and on one corner of that triangle, you basically have facilities and facility condition. And, and in the second corner, you have children's health or just, in general, environmental health. And in the third corner, you basically have productivity and learning. And so when you think about a high-performance school and the attributes of that school, the indoor air quality, the acoustics, the lighting, the thermal comfort that we mentioned earlier, um, those benefits can accrue in one of two ways. They can accrue as direct health benefits basically uh, eliminating or preventing conditions that can make people sick or, or, or cause things like asthma. I don't know if you know this, but asthma is actually the top cause of school absences. And so mm-hmm. if we have um, a school facility that has good indoor air quality, uh, that can actually reduce uh, asthma attacks from being triggered or uh, asthma from being caused. So, you know, in that case, looking at that triangle there's a direct health benefit of good indoor air quality uh, relative to first children's health, adult health, teacher health, but then also in terms of the learning because if students are in class and when they're in class they're not distracted or they're, they're not sick, then that's going to result in, in better learning. And so in, in many of the cases there are those, that direct link between health benefits. In other cases it may just be the quality of the learning environment that has a direct correlation to um, productivity and learning outcomes. And that can be both in terms of the students and the teachers beyond simply learning. You know, students go to a school, they go there for a number of years, then they graduate and go to another school, but the teachers are there every, every single day. And so, you know, in terms of teacher and staff health and also teacher retention, um, having a good classroom environment is is really essential to that. So those are a couple of ways, um, both directly in terms of health benefits, but also in terms of, of the learning environment um, that directly results in improved. Talk to us about some of the resources that you have. I mean, you know, this sounds fantastic. I mean, this is the kind of place where every parent would like to send their child and teachers or or college students who are studying to become teachers want to work. Um, What kinds of resources do you have that would help schools and school districts create high-performance schools? Sure. Well, 
beyond some of the things that we've already talked about, the operations report card, the CHIPS criteria, and, and, and those kind of programs, um, some of the other things that we offer is we have um, basically what's called the CHIPS Best Practices Manual, and it's really the definitive set of documents that tell people what a high-performance school is and how to get one. Um, there's actually five volumes in the Best Practices Manual, and basically they're geared toward different parts of the school life cycle as well as different audiences. So the first volume is really focused on how do you, how do you get a high-performance school. It's really intended for school decision makers, school planners, and so forth, and it sort of says why do you, why do you want a high-performance school, what do you need to ask for to get one, the second volume is really the design criteria. It's focused on architects and engineers, on all of the best practices for building a healthy, high-performance school. And it's really based on the different building systems that make up a school. So the lighting and the HVAC system and the interior finishes, the, basically the products that you use inside the classroom, the building envelope, the structure, and so forth. And then, you know, various siting things in terms of the use of water, um, you know, green space, um, using school gardens and other, other techniques. So that's the, the second volume. Then there's one specifically on maintenance and operations so that once you get that green school, that healthy high-performance school, how do you maintain it? There's one on commissioning um, high-performance schools to ensure as the school owner that you basically get what you pay for and that the school is actually performing as design. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have, uh, we have a, a volume in the best practices manual and a separate program that focuses on, on healthy, high-performance, prefabricated and modular classrooms. Um, you know, traditional portable or relocatable classrooms have developed a pretty bad um, Reputation, um, a number of studies have been done in terms of the materials and conditions in, in portable classrooms. But there's a mm-hmm. new generation, uh, in most cases, permanent portable, uh, well, not portable, but permanent prefabricated or modular classrooms um, that can also be high performance. And That's good news for a lot yeah. of schools because you see them popping up all over the place. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's so much more we're going to talk with Bill about in high-performance schools, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could all join us in case you're just tuning in. Our guest today is Bill Orr. He's the Executive Director for the Collaborative for High Performance Schools, also known as CHIPS. And you can check out their website. It is packed with great resources. It's www.chps.net, chips.net. So check it out. Uh, but for now, let's go back to what we were talking about. You mentioned, Bill, all the resources that you have for schools and school districts. Uh, what kinds of benefits and resources do you offer to companies and other entities that are involved in the building industry? Well, that's a great question. And in terms of the CHIPS uh, organization, it really is a collaborative environment, and we really have folks from all different facets of the of the of the movement, and one of the important parts of that um, is from our corporate members. And so we have people that are um, part of product manufacturers, systems providers of, of various things like lighting and air conditioning systems. And I think some of the benefits that they can accrue are, first of all, affiliation, uh, really being part of a movement with like-minded folks but also um, having the diversity there. So we have the school districts, we have the design teams, we have the utilities that are really all committed to healthy, high-performance schools. And so there's really a matter of access to uh, school districts and design teams that are committed to building these types of schools. Uh, Another thing that is really important is um, having a say in the standards that define what a healthy, high-performance school is. And CHIPS has a very robust national technical committee, and there are opportunities for um, a balanced participation by all of CHIPS stakeholders, but including um, companies that are involved in the construction process. And then finally, uh, CHIPS also has what we call the high-performance product database, and there's an opportunity for companies to list their products in that database And in turn, those listings, those products are used by school districts to specify high-performance, healthy high-performance products or by design teams to find products that meet the CHIPS criteria and other green building rating standards. 
Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about CHIPS criteria for a little bit. You've got both national core criteria and you have some state criteria. Help us understand this criteria system that you've got. Sure. So, you know, it's sort of interesting. Um, CHIPS, by and large, was really a grassroots organization, and we really started at the local level. And, you know, it's sort of like the old adage, think globally, act locally. Mm -hmm. Well, it sort of started that way, that we started thinking globally, but we started acting at the local level. And schools, by and large, are at at the local level, the school districts, the, the different states and so forth. And so when CHIP started off, we had sort of a one, one-off approach to developing customized rating systems for states. But that gets really involved, and there's uh, a lot of recreation of the wheel involved in that process, and there's also a substantial commitment of time. So about two years ago, uh, we began to develop um, a national version of CHIPS, and it's not intended to be a single one-size-fits-all rating system, but it's really intended to provide a framework for future states to come on board and develop their own CHIPS criteria. And so that is the the CHIPS national core criteria, and it includes categories dealing with the integrated whole building design of schools, the indoor environmental quality, energy efficiency, site and water issues, waste and materials issues, and then on the other end, operations and maintenance. And so that's how that national core criteria is organized, and it's really intended as a template for adaptation by other states or regions. So in terms of at the state level, we actually have currently eight versions of the CHIPS criteria that currently cover 13 states. And so... um, those, those, uh, those state criteria, the first one was developed in California in 2002, and we're actually getting ready to launch the fourth edition of the California CHIPS criteria. And on the other end of the spectrum, our most recent version of the state CHIPS criteria is Hawaii, which was adopted in 2012, and our first CHIPS projects are finishing up in Hawaii as we speak. And one of the novel things about Hawaii is that it's a fairly small state, but what people may not realize is Hawaii has one single school district that wow. represents all of the islands. So while it may be a small state, it's one of the 10 largest school districts in the country. Wow. And so that, I didn't know that. Ships. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, that's uh, I had no idea that there all of the islands were connected by one school district. One single school district. Yeah, and that's pretty the, amazing. The final thing about the the core criteria in the state version is that we recognize, especially over the last five years, that resources have built and really constrained uh, around school construction, and we're seeing that starting to pick up now. But we've continued to try to find ways to. Um, develop a CHIPS criteria that could be implemented faster and across a broader array of states. And so I'm going to give you a, a, a scoop here, Jill. Um, All right. A, a new version of, of CHIPS that is um, being built on the back of the national core criteria, and it's basically going to be a U.S. CHIPS, a version that could be used in other states that don't currently have their own state-specific version of CHIPS, or it could be used in a state that maybe doesn't have a huge school construction program, but that they would like to use CHIPS without developing 
their own independent version. And so we're really excited about that, and we expect that to be coming out over the summer. So, again, we're sort of thinking globally, we're acting locally, but now it's sort of like a sort of a continual spectrum there. Now we're mm-hmm. also looking at ways to, to basically bring chips to the entire country. Now oh, that's very exciting. Congratulations on that. And thanks for the scoop. We always like to be first to tell people new things. So that's, that's exciting news. You know, one of the concepts that I talk a lot about on this show when we're talking about green building um, is the concept of durability. And I'm very much in favor of low-emitting materials, energy and water efficiency, and, and all the rest. But in my humble opinion, there's nothing sustainable about building schools that have to be torn down and rebuilt every 40 to 50 years. I mean, that is a cycle that creates a lot of construction and demolition waste that our waste systems have to deal with. And that's a lot of wasted taxpayer dollars every other generation. And I'm wondering if the CHIPS criteria and the, the, the national core criteria, state criteria that you're developing incorporates this notion of durability into the building materials you endorse and the, the design process that you verify. Well, you've you sort of found a soft spot in my heart because um, you may not know this, but the way that I first got into green building almost 20 years ago was that I worked for the recycling agency in the state of California. And so the I way do know that, that. <laughs> uh, that my organization discovered green building was um, through construction and demolition material. Um, back as far as 1996, I was in charge of the state's um, construction and demolition recycling program for the state of California. And what we soon realized is that really the best way to reduce the amount of construction and demolition material that was going to landfills was to try to reduce and prevent it upstream. And so, you know, I, you're right exactly. And there's a variety of ways that CHIPS addresses um, both the reduction in construction and demolition materials, but also durability and other, other facets there. So I'll just talk about a couple of them. Um, first of all, um, I think that the realization that schools um, once you build them, are going to be around for longer than I think people maybe thought about when they were first constructed. Um, you know, CHIPS has a- attempted to address that um, through the renovation and modernization criteria, and there are specific um, criteria, specific credits available for the reuse of um, parts of a building or school um, during a renovation process, also for the repurposing or use of materials um, from within the school, uh, whether that's uh, furniture or other materials that can be salvaged and reused. But there's also uh, an innovation credit or an innovative uh, approach that's in the CHIPS criteria that's called Design for Durability and Disassembly. And uh, it really gets into things like deconstruction where, uh, where you basically are trying to design it to pass the fifth grader test. You know, when you think <laughs> about a school, um, Little, little fingers are, are fidgety. Kids can do a lot of things just by being in a school. And so you really have to think about the durability of materials when you're building a school and focus on that. I think the other thing that's critical, and it's not just based on interior material selection, but it also has to do with the life cycle of the different systems that make up a school is that it's critical to properly operate and maintain the systems at the school so that not only are you 
not going to have to rebuild every 40 to 50 years, but the building systems that make up that school actually attain the life cycle that's expected for that system. So whether it's the roof or the HVAC system or the flooring materials or whatever it might be that you need to properly operate and maintain those systems to get that life cycle. So between durability, salvage and reuse, and operations and maintenance, those are are really keys to having a school last that 50 years or longer. Absolutely. Well, there are schools on the East Coast, and I'm not saying they're the most energy efficient buildings because I know many of them are not, though they're striving to be through some of these, you know, renovation projects. But there are schools on the East Coast that have been there over 100 years. So buildings can last a lot longer than than some of the ones that we see. Um, And I know California is infamous for build it, tear it down, build it, tear it down when it comes to schools. Um, And so I I love hearing that CHIPS is addressing that durability issue. We're going to take a quick commercial break but don't go away folks because we have some great questions left for bill so there'll be more go green radio right after this News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. You know, those of you who've been listening are probably school stakeholders. You might be a parent, a principal, a facilities manager, a school board member, a a superintendent. Um, And at this point, you might be thinking, I want high performance school. How do we get there? And I'm telling you, you got to get on the CHIPS website because they have a section that's labeled training and events. And it is a terrific assortment of of highly accessible, easy-to-use training sessions. And, Bill, I'd love for you to tell us more about what our listeners can expect to find if they go to chips.net and then click on that training and events tab. Well, I think one of the, the simplest ways to find out more information about CHIPS is that we have uh, a number of monthly webinars. So 
I think people have gotten a great introduction by listening to the, to today's show. But if they want to find out a little bit more about chips and, and the different programs that we've touched on today, we have an intro to chips webinar that occurs every month. But then in addition to that, we have several other webinars that really sort of drill down into details on, on those programs that we've touched on today. So we have one webinar that specifically looks at benchmarking for existing schools and for school districts or others that are interested in actually using the operations report card as a benchmarking tool, there's another more hands-on webinar that we offer about the operations report card. In addition to that, there is a tandem of monthly webinars that we do. One of them is specifically on the CHIPS Verified um, program and especially focused for architects and engineers, green consultants, school districts to learn how to make sure that when they're doing their project that they get that documentation right the first time. And, and so that's an exciting one. And then we've also instituted a set of quarterly state-specific trainings. And so those are some of the monthly webinars, but we also have uh, a, a lot of previous slideshows from presentations that we've done at conferences and other trainings as well as upcoming events. So CHIPS um, participates in various conferences around the country, uh, school conferences, green conferences, and so forth. And you can get the latest information about seeing CHIPS live at a training or conference or participate in the monthly webinars. Well, and I love the fact that you also have, you know, a terrific assortment of on-demand uh, videos, as you mentioned, and slideshows that people can, you know, if you just can't sleep, you're up at 2 a.m. and you want to learn about high-performance schools. Some of us are like that. Those of us who are kind of green and geeky and we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this stuff, you can find what you're looking for at chips.net. You know, the Department of Education has put out the Green Ribbon School Program, and everybody's very excited about it. And a lot of people are starting to wake up to what this program's all about and, and starting to participate. What is the difference between a Green Ribbon School and, say, a CHIPS Verified School? Sure. Well, the, the CHIPS Verified Program, uh, I guess the best way to think of it is it's, it's sort of a pathway uh, for healthy, high-performance schools. And it is, as we talked about before, it's a recognition program. But the, the U.S. Department of Education's Green Ribbon Schools Program has been around for about three, three, four years. And it's really an awards program. It's really intended to be recognized the cream of the crop. Nationally, each state can nominate a handful of schools and a district for consideration at the federal level. And then at the national level, uh, the Department of Education selects about 70 or so schools from that, from that group for, for recognition. So it really is an awards program. It's, it's only a limited number of schools each year. Whereas the CHIPS criteria and the CHIPS verified program, there's really no limits on that. You know, we really are looking for districts and states, school districts, to, to really build their schools using the, the CHIPS criteria, but it folds nicely into the Green Ribbon Schools. Specifically, there are three pillars. They call them pillars in the Green Ribbon Schools. One of them really is about school facilities, uh, energy efficient and so forth. One of the pillars is about healthy, uh, healthy environments and, and wellness. And then the third is about environmental literacy 
and, and eco-education. And so um, as far as uh, CHIPS verified schools, they're a great, way, great pathway toward ultimate recognition as a green ribbon school. And in fact, um, several of the CHIPS schools have been recognized each year within the Green Ribbon Schools program, and I'm really looking forward the week after next to going to Washington, D.C. to participate in the award ceremony that will be held um, back in Washington. Well, and that's great news for, the, of course, the schools that are receiving the awards, but it's also great news for CHIPS that you've, your criteria and your guidance has helped these schools to achieve that goal. And so congratulations um, to you as well as to the schools. You know, here in California, we've had a recent legislation called Prop 39, and it's created several billion dollars over the course of five years um, to help every school, if they choose to use this funding um, in the state of California, uh, to do energy efficiency upgrades and to do a number of different projects. They have a lot of choice about how they can put these projects together in order to create energy efficient schools. Now, I'm wondering how Prop 39 has impacted CHIPS, or maybe the better question is how has CHIPS impacted Prop 39? Talk to us about how you've interfaced with that piece of legislation. Sure. Well, I think um, probably the most notable thing is um, it sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but it's also a drop in the bucket. Um, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned, there's going to be about $2.5 billion allocated to school districts throughout California over the next five years, but that's um, a small amount of the over $110 billion need that exists. And so it sounds like a lot of money, but then when you divide it down, it turns into a lot of fairly small projects. There are schools and charter schools and small school districts that will only be getting about fifteen to thirty thousand dollars per year, mm-hmm. and on the other extreme, the Los Angeles Unified School District will be getting something like one hundred and twenty-five million dollars. So it it really ranges, but the way that it it really that Chips has been interfacing is two ways. First of all, to think bigger, not just think about small energy efficiency retrofit programs. But think about how does that fit toward a blueprint of a healthy, high-performance school. So starting with that broader vision in mind and then using that um, to, to go toward that goal. And, and so I think that's the first way that CHIPS has really been focusing. The second way is to think about what we call the non-energy benefits. Much of what we've talked about during today's show has um, had an energy efficiency underpinning but is really about the, the learning environment, the health and productivity. And so we've really been working with uh, the school stakeholders and the California Energy Commission to find ways to more uh, robustly consider um, these non-energy benefits of indoor air quality and, and lighting, thermal comfort, and so forth as part of the equation. Well, and let's face it, when you're more energy efficient, that means that energy plants that perhaps are highly carbon emitting, uh, maybe we'll be using a little bit less of that energy 
quality, and that could also impact the outdoor air quality. And many of the schools uh, in the state of California, whether they're in the Central Valley in the rural areas um, or whether they're in West Oakland, um, have some really serious outdoor air quality issues. Some of that's not related to energy use. A lot of it's related to transportation. But but, any time that we are reducing the amount of carbon that needs to be belched out of energy plants that that use carbon-emitting fuels, which is... A, a good deal of them, um, then, then we're winning on the outdoor air quality issue as well. Bill, I'm just so excited about what you guys are doing. I think CHIPS is a terrific organization, and I encourage all of our listeners to get out on your website to be a part of this movement that you are leading. And again, um, for those of you who may not have caught it the first 10 times I said it, <laughs> check out their website at www.chips.net, and that's chps.net. Congratulations on all your success, Bill, and thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. I hope that you'll join us then. Till then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.